Hello, I'm Rob Thomas with Club and Resort Business. Welcome to another episode of Club and Resort Talks. Today's episode is sponsored by DTG, the global leader in the design, development, and delivery of power systems and mobile workstations. The company is committed to designing custom food and beverage carts that combine innovation, ergonomics, and usability to meet the unique needs of all clubs, uh, the workflow, and the environment. Learn more at DTG.com. That out of the way, let's get to Phil Kerr, our senior editor. Phil, how's it going? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you? I'm doing really well, Phil. I just want to uh, take the opportunity right now to say, as we are recording this, we do not have a guest to follow. But if that does come to fruition, we have a couple requests in. Uh, there'll be a little ticker going down below us telling us who's going to be following. So uh, please take a look at that. Uh with that, what do you have in the news this week? Well, we've had a pretty interesting couple of weeks, I'd say, since we last talked. Um, what for? For one, I guess we learned what a we've learned what a javelina is, right, <laughs> Rob? We, I I will confess, I had no idea. I was not a um, somebody who followed something like that in the past. Uh, never heard of a javelina before, uh, but I guess they this particular animal, which I guess is like a medium-sized pig-like mammal native to southwestern U.S. and Central America. I guess a bunch of them were, have, um, I guess, made themselves at home at Seven Canyons Golf Club in Sedona, Arizona, right? They've been out there kind of, unfortunately, damaging the course quite a bit. And the course leaders have been trying to figure out what, how to handle it, how to get them off the course and everything. Um, there was even a video from one of the employees posted uh, showed pretty very extensive damage being done to the course. Unfortunately, one thing that was interesting to notice about the story when I was looking at it earlier today is that I guess a lot of it had to do with lack of rain. Uh, they only had about two inches of rain in the summer there in Arizona. And I guess last year in contrast, we were around, what was it? I think 18 inches of rain and they didn't have the problem. Although as I understand it, they've had the problem in the past somewhat, although not as bad as this year. The interesting thing was that they have, uh, there was um, their repellent, if you will, for it, that seems to be working fairly well is uh, chili oil, as I understand it. Is that right? I, yeah, <laughs> chili oil. Thing. How about that? I guess they don't, um, I guess they don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess the superintendent tried a number of things. Uh, yeah. You know, the sad thing is, I mean, sad thing is the course is torn all to hell, but um mm -hmm. I mean, if superintendents don't have enough to worry about with uh, with drought, especially down in the southwest, you know, yeah. drought like conditions and trying to 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 do the best with what they have, uh, disease, all kinds of stuff. And now you got these little little pig like creatures tearing through, rooting, looking for food. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's just terrible. I feel feel bad for Seven Canyons. I've been to Sedona, Arizona. It's a mm -hmm. gorgeous, gorgeous area. Uh, and I'm sure the golf course is beautiful. I know it's one of the top 20 in the state or top 25 in the state. And that's a state full of beautiful golf courses. So um, best of luck. Hopefully the chili oil uh, works and hopefully doesn't, that doesn't lead to different problems. You know, just like old people, you know, you take one pill to, to sleep and then you got to take another pill to get up. And then that's going <laughs> to cause you to take another pill to do whatever. So um, right. hopefully this is, this is the remedy. 
get rid of those little pig-like creatures and uh, yeah. let them go elsewhere and, and tear up somebody's lawn. I mean, I don't want, you know, hey, God forbid you're in somebody's backyard, but it's right. a, a lot better than, you know, digging through a fairway or a green. Right, right. It did make me think, too, just about how, indeed, when I mean, you referenced it for a second there about, you know, drought-like conditions out there, there are so, there are so many environmental challenges that golf courses can face as far as like again you know you have drought conditions you know having enough water to care for your course while you know being kind of prudent in how you use it and we've seen like examples of extreme weather conditions causing damage to golf courses too and then of course with this example with the javelinas we have you know sometimes there are animals wildlife native to the area that uh are going to get onto a golf course as well and unfortunately cause cause problems out there with that so lot, lots of different challenges to face that have to do with i guess environmental issues and kind of falls under that umbrella yeah well let's get let's get off of the bad news okay. let's get to some good news what have you I what agree. have you heard on the good news side on the good news side uh, i did note over the last couple of weeks we heard about some well one call of course opening another one reopening after being closed much of the year uh it's, well actually still in arizona the estates course at the Arizona Biltmore Golf Club uh, is opening, and it's a par 71, uh, 60, about 6,700 yards, uh, designed by the Layman Design Group. Golfers should recognize the name. That's um, also Scottsdale resident, PGA Tour, five-time champion, Tom Layman. I actually saw, I remember seeing Tom Layman earlier this summer at the, um, at the at Firestone, at the, the College Companies Championship out there. Saw him playing there up close. Had a couple of nice shots when I was watching him. Um, but yeah, anyways, layout sits on the same footprint as the club's former Adobe course, but has a different look and feel. Um, it, it was a six-month redesign project there. Uh, had recontoured fairways and added mounds throughout the course. So good news there out there in Arizona for, um, of course, uh, with Layman Design Group. Yeah, hey, fantastic. Uh I'm glad you switched to some good news. Also, something down in Dixie, right? You got something from uh, an Alabama golf course? Yes, yes. That as well. Pines Crossing Golf Course in Auburn, Alabama is actually set, still coming up here, actually, officially going to reopen on November 3rd. Uh, they'll have a ceremony for that. It's formerly known as Indian Pines, and the course's new name was uh, announced re uh, earlier this summer, actually, in a joint presentation from Auburn Mayor Ron Anders and uh, Opelika Mayor Gary Fuller, and they announced that in June, and it's going to be a redesigned 18-hole course, and it'll be a par 72, uh, covering just over 7,000 yards. Big, big increase on that one. It was originally 6,300, so another one there as well. And then also, um, jumping to a different sport, we've talked a fair amount this year about pickleball, a facility that's that's being billed as the world's largest indoor pickleball club uh is being built right now the Fidel and pickleball club in olivet missouri uh, it's going to have six european style Fidel courts and eight advanced cushion master two pickleball courts pro shop and a bar um a partner for the project mike puertas he said we felt like this concept would be something new something fun uh, social spot would be attractive so they're set to set to open in december so that should be interesting. And I know we we heard a little bit about Padel earlier this year, Rob, in our, one of our trips in, in Orlando. Uh, I remember stopping by a booth. I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not recalling exactly the, the group or company we saw, 
but I know they were talking about how Fidel is very popular in Europe and they're hoping to have it become just as popular here in the United States. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember that. I remember that visit very well. And hey, flashback real quick to your uh, to your Auburn story, War Eagle, to my friends down in uh, down in uh, southeast, or I guess a central eastern Alabama. Uh, Auburn Opelika is a beautiful area. Um, nice golf courses down there on Lake Martin. Um, and as far as the uh, the Padel and uh, pickleball, man, looking forward to hearing more about that. Indoor pickleball is uh, is growing. It's a big, big thing, and it's a good thing because it's a noisy little sport. And yes. my column in November, looking forward, is uh, has to do with uh, the sound of silence and the lack thereof with some of our um, our most popular sports, whether it's uh, pickleball. I don't know, Padel. I think is a little quiet and it's it's confined in a glass case, so it's uh, right. it's right. a totally different kind of sport. But uh, pickleball, uh, some of the shooting sports. I know you talked to a couple people at Country Club at Buffalo. Yes. Two episodes back. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things tied in within the club community. Um, speaking of openings, uh, how about a reopening in, um, in Ponte Vedra in the Lagoon course? And I believe it was Bobby Weed Golf Design and uh, McCurrick Golf Construction paired uh, mm -hmm. to, to regrass all the greens, restore all the bunkers and enlarge the practice facility there um this is the second time they've been there and i think donald ross did the front the first nine years and years and years ago and then the second nine was built uh anyways it's been a number of redesigns or renovations uh back in 2007 weed and mccurrick uh teamed to uh renovate it and this time they're back again and the course looks spectacular that's on our website clubresortbusiness.com excellent excellent nice to hear about all these courses uh redesigning and uh reworking things um and as i was mentioning to you too it does seem like courses are trying to be longer yet have fewer bunkers as we were just talking about before we came on here uh it's an interesting trend there i guess it, it's a little bit of a nod to the fact that people of golfers especially younger golfers seem to hit the ball further than younger golfers of the past uh, and then bunker um you know my I would think more people playing golf would try, probably trying to make the course more playable. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, and I'd mentioned as long as they're not replacing the bunkers with four inch rough, that's <laughs> uh, that does the case speed of play. Uh, obviously it, it, you know, it you know, quickens up the pace um, makes it a little easier, but I mean, a 7,500 yard golf course and not everybody's blessed to have that kind of land. I know a course in our area, uh, Northeast Ohio, Canterbury, has hosted mm -hmm. many, many professional tournaments, but they're kind of, um, I don't say obsolete. I think some of the champions tour events have a possibility still going there, but the PGA tour can't go there. Uh, the top division one golfers can't go there anymore. The course is just too short and it's landlocked. There's houses, you know, it's, it's the middle of a neighborhood uh, back when you're using persimmon woods and uh, a lot of golf balls or whatever. Uh, you know, sure. It was a, it was a stern test of golf, but now, you know, these, sub subpar these uh what do they call it the plus six handicaps mm -hmm. they go out there and destroy this course i mean it's a pitch and putt for these guys uh right. so the longer the better uh for for the pros but uh for you guys like you and i i mean canterbury right. is every bit as hard as it ever been uh right. for when, when nicholas and trevino and gary player were playing it i mean they, you know they probably hit the ball as far back then with their persimmon woods as you and i do with our our uh modern you know, modern marbles that we're smacking around right now. 
it does make me wonder though a little bit if we you know it seems like two different things happening at once there i mean if you um for a course that might not be quite up 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 to par as far as length for uh pga or even you know division one college golf i don't know would you want it would they consider adding if they are landlocked perhaps they would want to consider adding bunkers to make the course a little more difficult because obviously they can't do it with with length right I would yeah yeah they have to be tricky they have to be yeah, creative with design right? mm-hmm. yeah that could be interesting Hey, as as a weekend golfer, though, I welcome the idea of fewer bunkers for sure. <laughs> yeah, I could you know, go without some fewer trees too. I I could yeah. use, you know, I, I have I have a tendency hitting the balls offline, so bunkers aren't my issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Trees are my issue, so maybe I should move to Scotland and play a lot more links golf courses. Uh, yes, I probably would like that as well. I've, <laughs> I I find a lot of the trees too. I've I've mastered the, uh, you know, the, the the punch shot back, just get it back out on the fairway and give myself a clear shot to the green yeah you and the internet phenom uh, club pro guy right the uh the little hooded wedge knocked the ball back out he's uh i mean he's the best in the world at that so um you know <laughs> let's go right hey, yeah, uh, before we before we get moving too far i want to talk about landscapes unlimited uh taking charge uh down in uh trap hill north carolina uh they're in charge of i guess there could be a new golf a new private club called uh the connect contentment golf club um and it's a lester george designed golf course uh, they're going to have lodging and uh accommodations on property but no homes so it's going to be a, a golf specific piece of property uh i'm not familiar with trap hill north carolina but uh it looks like it's in the mountains by the pictures i've seen uh so it's probably going to be very uh comfortable in the summertime you know sometimes mm-hmm. in north carolina you take some of those coastal golf courses uh get hot 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 and muggy uh the mountains are 15 20 degrees cooler and a nice little fresh breeze so uh, i'm looking forward to seeing more of the contentment golf club and see how that comes out in the future absolutely it's kind of neat too as i'm thinking about it we've we've covered i think what the uh, southwest the south uh now the east coast a little bit here with this well still i guess more towards southeast but um, nice to see a lot of projects going on here uh, at various in various spots around the country. Yeah, coast to coast, we're um, mm-hmm. we're doing it all. Uh, but here in the Northeast, and this brings me to our last piece here. Uh, here in the Northeast, it's getting to be the end of the season, unfortunately. Uh, end of October, uh, we don't know how many more days. I think there's snow forecasted. It's out west right now. It's coming right. this way. Seventy five degrees and sunny right now. So it it's is. kind of hard to even mention yeah. snow, but within the next week, we're going to yeah. be in the highs in the forties, lows around freezing and uh, snow's coming, uh, which brings me to a recent column that we ran in our last issue. And it's on clubresortbusiness.com right now from uh, Kevin Daniel Lalomir, who is the GM at uh, the country club in New Canaan in Connecticut. Uh, he offers uh, some tips on retaining seasonal workforce. So as mm-hmm. your, um, as your summer and fall help are wrapping up their duties, what can you do to ensure that they come back in the spring? Uh, Retraining brand new employees every spring is tough. I mean, so, you know, it's one step forward, two steps back. If you Mm -hmm. can get these, these, uh, these men and women that have experience and that can come back to your club in the spring, summer, fall, do it all again next year. It just builds momentum and really increases the, uh, the feel around the club 
I mean, the, the members notice it. Obviously, the the staff notices it. So, uh, read Kevin Daniel uh, Lalamere's article um, on clubresortbusiness.com. It's on the homepage right now. So, it's still one of the three major uh, articles, as well as um, Rivi and yes. on um, Riviera Club in Indianapolis, Indiana, as well as something on chefs catering to our youngest members. Uh, with more than just chicken fingers and mac and cheese, nothing yeah. wrong with chicken fingers yeah. and mac and cheese. I can make a meal yeah. out of that. Me but uh, well, they really <laughs> let's let's uh, let's let's increase the uh, the offerings for the kids. And uh, and yeah. some of the clubs are are talking about it. And there's like four recipes on our website, so check those out as well. Uh, Phil, I think that's all I got. What about you? I think that's it. Other than I did want to very quickly, I was just going to mention that. Uh, the, we are wrapping up the November issue, which will have the rankings of the top ranked pro shops in our November issue. So that'll be coming out here pretty soon. And uh, then we will immediately jump in to start working on the listing of top ranked clubhouses. We'll round out the year with that. So we're looking forward to receiving submissions on those. And people, of course, right now we can people can go to clubresortbusiness.com to uh, enter submissions on clubhouses right now. But of course, watch the site as well for information on our top ranked pro shops. Those rankings will be coming out here pretty soon, both online and in the November issue. I've seen the pro shops. There's some spectacular ones in this list. And uh, also, boy, clubhouses. I'm really looking forward to that one. That one every year, just some stunning, stunning renovations. And, uh, you know, please get on that clubresortbusiness.com. It's on the main bar right there. Go to top ranked and submit because I'm looking forward to seeing everything that we have uh, across the country. See who's the best, right? That's that's what we're here for. Top ranked. Yep, absolutely. All right, Phil. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, If there was a little ticker down there saying we have a guest, stay tuned for the guest. If not, take care, stay well, and have a great day. Hello, and here we are with uh, Rob Goodhue. Director of Culinary Operations and Executive Chef at Hunter's Run Country Club in Boynton Beach, Florida. Chef, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I heard uh, I heard your name, and I, I was wondering how many times have you uh, uh, heard the Matchbox Twenty joke? Many, many times. My mother uh, it never gets old for her. She loves hearing people say, "Oh, Rob Thomas, you're you know yeah. your son's how's famous." How's Santana doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's smooth. Yeah, he's smooth. That's good. I like that. Yeah. So, hey, we're here on this podcast to talk about another podcast, yours. You just started the Rare Talk podcast. Uh, my first question is, why and uh, why now? Well, you know, I, um, it, I, I've actually been wanting to do it for several years, and I never, I never had a partner that could really navigate like the the technical side of it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative person, but like, I'm not so great at execution when it comes to the technology. Um, but, uh, you know, it all started with just like talking in the offices after work, you know, after service, we would just have these awesome, like conversations with the sous chefs and, or cooks and rants about service or even just philosophy, you know, and, um, and just to kind of like, uh, vent, you know, and these conversations were so fun that I, I was like, wow, man, what, what if we just captured some of this in a podcast form, you know? And um, so now, you know, when I, I came to Hunter's Run, uh, the the team here, the communications director, Marie, 
she uh, she's so good at organizing this kind of thing. Like the 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 idea really gained some legs, and then we we just went for it. And it was a, a perfect time to do it. You know. Well, I can see a uh, an upcoming presentation at a chef to chef conference. So uh, get prepared, right? We got to start keeping some notes. Yeah, that's uh, you know, wow. I never I never thought about that, but you're you're right. I think it's going to be a a great way for club chefs to have a little fun and uh, communicate with their members about some things that you know they just aren't aware of. Um, you know, uh, the tricky part is you know just keeping it. Uh, uh, you know, in the PG, you know, <laughs> chefs like to, when we rant, we do get colorful with the language. So that's my, uh, my biggest, uh, you know, part about it is keeping the PG. Well, hey, there, there's beeps for a reason, right? You can always bleep stuff out. That's true. That's true. Hey, uh, so you've already got two in the can. Let's start with your very first episode. Uh, if we will, restaurant, uh, restaurant picks when traveling. I think it's called vacation uh, do's and don'ts of dining. Can you talk a little bit about that episode? Yeah, you know, uh, that was during the, we, we we recorded that during the summer. And, you know, a lot of uh, members asked me, you know, where do you, where do you eat when you go here? Where do you, what do you do when you go uh, to this place or that place? And I, I started to get the idea, like I, I follow a certain little set of rules as a chef. You know, I look for specific things. Um, and so I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of get that me uh, that message out to my membership. Like if you're, if you're in a touristy area, you know, don't, don't expect, you know, like a Michelin star food at the, at the place that has a, like the word doc in its name, you know, or, uh, you know, or that has too many, too broad of a menu. Like, what are they known for? You know, like, what's the, if you want what that, that town represents, then you, you have to do a little research. Don't, don't expect the perfect burger at the place that does ribs, crab cakes, and salmon, you know, like, you're in Naples, Florida. I mean, they probably don't specialize in, in anything specific, you know? So that's where that came about to kind of help people navigate their vacation spots. So I shouldn't be going to a cheesecake factory when I'm in San Antonio. Uh, if you know what, if you just want some cheesecake, sure. And a, and a, and a, and a beer, uh, you know, it's a great idea. Yeah. You know, my wife is a big uh, proponent of trying local restaurants, especially when we're on vacation. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't go to the the Applebee's. We don't go to Olive Garden. Right. Uh, you know, we have those here in uh, Northeast Ohio. We can always, if we have a craving for, uh, I don't know, what are they, Tour of Italy, I think is what the Olive Garden's known for. Right. We can always do that. But I like your, I like your thoughts. Now, you had mentioned something about um, like ordering maybe a selection of appetizers before even looking at the the main dishes to kind of see what's what's what in a certain restaurant yeah like i you know when i go out to eat now um it also depends on the price point right like if um you know, if i'm in a place and the, the entrees are you know in the upper 20s uh i you know we're, we're just we're just creature of habit so we always think we got for dinner we got to go get a protein a starch and a vegetable and it's like ah, i don't i don't need i don't need that when i'm on vacation i would rather get a quesadilla and a side of broccoli. If I, if I, you know, if I need to eat a little healthy, but um, I, my eyes, you know, are always bigger than my stomach when I'm on vacation. And then I end up spending so much money on nonsense. And that's kind of like where I was going with that. Let's, let's cover the table. And usually the appetizers are the more interesting items in a lot of places. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you give me some Brussels sprouts, uh, prepared the way the chef wants to prepare them, and I'm all for it. Right. Uh, you know, steak is a steak is a steak. If you're at a steakhouse, obviously, 
you know, look for the steak, but uh, I, I know you're talking about with the appetizers for sure. Exactly. So uh, getting beyond, okay, beyond episode one now, I'm looking forward to watching that one. I haven't seen it or listened to it yet. Um, episode two, let's talk barbecue. One of my favorite uh, genres, I guess, of the food. Uh, let's tell me a little bit about that particular episode. Yeah. So the, the, the funny thing about that is, um, I, I know I just got a really amazing smoker from old Hickory. Um, uh, and it's a, it's a rotisserie smoker and, you know, I was just thinking with my sous chef, like we've gone through the trials and tribulations of, of barbecue and it's a, it's a much more painful process than a lot of people, a lot of people think, or they assume you know, you you really have to uh, cook a lot of meat to dial in on specific things. And there's a there's a reason that, you know, people are really good at ribs or really good at brisket or really good at, you know, pork, uh, pulled pork. It's because that's the thing that they zeroed in on. And they practice, practice, practice. And um, man, I have messed up some barbecue. I'll tell you that. And uh, I, I have um, one of my best friends from my uh, restaurant days, Shane McBride. He um you know, he got, he got me into barbecue. He influenced me a lot. He was, he was, he competed in Memphis in May and I went out there one year and, you know, I came back and, and, and just tried to attack it. And I just, I failed miserably several times. And, you know, I got the kind of like the wrong smoker for my club. Uh, it wasn't efficient. It was uh, great to learn on, but not, not the easiest piece of equipment to work with. And that's when I really started. I did learn, though, I, I threw, you know, I kept at it. And now I can produce some pretty decent barbecue. And it also gives me an excuse to just have way too many grills at home um, for the sake of research and development. <laughs> love it. Love it. So what's your preference, dry versus wet? Um, I like uh, I, I like the sauce on the side, uh, typically, you know, but that's not. Uh, necessarily what uh, my members enjoy they like a glaze on their on most of their barbecue but uh, I I really like to taste the uh, the smoke and then the uh, you know the the fattiness of the meat I don't like any I don't like too much coming in between that um, and then I like the sauces on the side all right that's a little control on your uh, on your side then I suppose yeah what um as a chef What's harder or or what's more challenging to uh, produce? With with uh in terms with that of particular style. Um is it is it harder to get good flavor out of a dry? I think, you know, smothering food and sauce seems to be kind of like the easier way out. Is it harder Absolutely. to perfect the dry? Oh yeah, because you know, if you don't have your your rub right and it has a little too, you know, in a country club, we don't you know, spice, spice, you got to keep the spice under control. And, you know, if you, if you get a little bit uh, too much pepper or cayenne or something like that, well, there's nothing to, you can't hide from it on, on when it's dry, a dry rub and that heat really magnifies, but where you have a sweet sauce on top, it can kind of uh, mask some errors, but it's a, uh, you know, that's part of the challenge. I, I've also, by doing dry, uh, going the dry method, I've simplified my my rubs big time. That way, I can I can really control the ingredients, and I I, I focus more on the smoke. Well, I, I was talking to Ed Doyle from uh, Real Food uh, Hospitality and Design, I think is the, the official name. But and we talked about doing a um, a podcast or a webinar one time on bourbon and barbecue. 
uh, okay. maybe a round table at one of the chef to chef conferences. We'll have to get you on there to talk a little bit of barbecue. Two, two of my favorite subjects, <laughs> barbecue. <laughs> I love it. So it looking, looking ahead, uh, a couple of uh, podcasts you have planned country club dining versus public restaurants. We talked a little bit about how at country clubs, you're, uh, you know, the spices, right? You have to keep them down. You're not talking about something that's, you know, going to blow your members away with some some crazy spices. Uh, what are some of the differences between country club dining and public restaurants? Well, you know, I part of the podcast is is like entertainment, but uh, then another part is also so I can communicate some of the inner workings to the membership because they really, they, they're fascinated by how we run the club and and, you know, they they come up to me all the time like, oh, wow, I I didn't even realize that. Or, you know, I do kitchen tours. Uh, we do kitchen tours to communicate, maybe especially if we need improvements in the kitchen. And it's really eye opening to them to see what we do and how we do it. But um, that comparison, I thought, was very important because especially post covid, there's so many challenges that, you know, restaurants have their their own challenges. And, and but country clubs you know, our members don't, they don't go out to eat anywhere else, you know, so that, you know, imagine being in a hotel and the guests just never, never left, like within, you know, if you got two weeks into a stay, they'd be like, well, where's the, what's next? Where's the variety on the menu? Uh, then that becomes the challenge. And you're like, whoo, you've thrown everything but the kitchen sink at them by the time the season's over. And <laughs> they're still hungry for more because they're not, they're, they're here all the time, every night you know? So I think that was important for them. If they realize that, then they can kind of appreciate the rotating specials, the, you know, when, when we do change the menu, it's, it's a greater task than they might assume. And, you know, it's, they have, they definitely have become uh, more appreciative of that. And that helps, that helps the communication. Do you do any kind of like, uh, I don't want to say pop-up options, but something along that line where it's not necessarily on the menu, but you had, um, I don't know. So the, the farmer's market had some kind of special, something like that. Uh, you know, the the seafood came in different than you expected. Uh, kind of throw curveballs at the members every once in a while. Absolutely. I mean, we try to we try to do uh, we try to do specials all the time. But this season really is going to be the season where we showcase. We have a, a, a couple of food trucks, you know, with different concepts um, called uh, Goodies Gourmet, and that's. We didn't get to really uh, use it that much last season because we got the equipment kind of near the near the end of season. But this year we have like goodies on tap. We've got like a little, you know, like a little a little Vespa uh, food truck that has uh, the taps. You know, we're going to we're going to put that out, do pop ups, you know, especially for like men's day golf. And, you know, we'll just bring the uh, food truck out and do hot dogs and and, you know, barbecue. And we're really excited to do that this season. Well, let me know when it's scheduled because I'd like to make a visit. Absolutely. <laughs> um, another one of my favorite topics is steaks. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, so much variety. You're going to do a podcast, The Skinny on Steaks. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Give us a little sneak peek if you could. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I think um, what we were trying to do is go over the the different uh, the different grades and you know, like um, Wagyu is a catchphrase now, right? It's just it's everywhere and. I think like, um, you know, people should know that ju just because it says Wagyu, what does that mean exactly? And where does it derive from? And then, you know, there's such a, a like this crazy, 
I mean, the Japanese system of rating beef is so intense and 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 kind of fascinating, right? Like how they how they came up with their product, and then understanding the American system. You know what is what is Angus? What does it mean to be have Black Angus on your menu? What does it mean to have prime and and uh, you know or sterling silver perhaps? You know or Creekstone? You know all these things. Uh, what what do they mean? And and also my 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 guess, we just kind of meander around the subject. I think we, I mean, we may have started uh, talking. You know, who who, who knows where we go with the podcast sometimes, uh, but that was basically the the main. You know, steakhouses are very popular right now, and you know why are they popular? Why are they so popular right now, and not seafood restaurants? And I mean, like, not deep fried seafood restaurants, but real fish restaurants. Fish is harder to control. It's a more perishable, you know, to have a menu that has a lot of variety of seafood on it is, is a, is a risk and steak restaurants are more controllable, you know? So, I mean, they're blowing up all over Boca and it's like, you know, for as expensive as beef is, you know, how are all these, all these restaurants opening up is because I think that beef is more controllable in terms of uh, perishable, you know, you, uh, your members, are they, um, Kind of what do you what's your percentage as far as beef versus seafood with your members' preferences? My members are could enter competitive eating contests. They they are the they love food. And um, you know, but I would say they're more seafood eaters over overall. They really, they really love seafood. And um so and and lately I've been trying to get into less expensive cuts of steak, right? Like the the Kulat steak is very popular right now. Hanger. Um, these steaks, you know, skirt steak is crazy expensive right now. So we, we're trying to find also smaller cuts, you know, so we can get like that steak experience to our members. Because if like you only have the filet in the strip, it's only a matter of time before the sales just, they, they you know, they go down. Um, and you, you have a few steak lovers, but even steak lovers are going to only order like once a week, you know. Um, so I've tried to combine other cuts to get that experience so that they, you know, they, we can get them a steak, but at a reasonable price. Well, I grew up on Salisbury steak. So, um, you know, my, my, my levels have thankfully gone up, but, oh, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I grew up on a cube steak. Oh yeah. That was tough. Right. My mom gave me a pair of scissors to cut it with at the dinner table. It was, it was horrible. Cube steak, mashed potatoes, and so a can of uh, French cut green beans. I've I've had that meal many times. Oh yeah, that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Brings me back. All right, Chef. Uh, thank you for your time. Where can people find Rare Talk podcast? Uh, yeah, it's on uh, Spotify and and uh, iTunes. iTunes, I believe. Apple. Yeah, there we go. Apple iTunes. All right, fantastic. Yeah, uh, make sure you check out Chef Rob Goodhue and the Rare Talk podcast. And thank Marie for the use of the office. I'm sure uh, your office is a little nuts right now. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I'm, I think I'm going to go back to the office and put on um, some, some Matchbox 20 uh, in tribute. I love it. I love it. I think I'll do the same. All right. Take, take care, care. Stay well and have a great day, Chef. Thank you. Bye-bye.